From those in the know to those who need to know, this is the Indie Weekly Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Indie Weekly Podcast. Coming up this week, a wonderful and important conversation that Daryl Hers had with Dr. Leland Harper back in early November of 2022. Uh, this was for Indie Weekly number 77. It's called, Are You Creating Safe Spaces at Your Events? And uh, Leland is an expert in justice, diversity, equity, and inclusion within the entertainment and hospitality industries. He and Daryl really dig into what is needed, what changes are needed in the music industry, particularly, obviously, in the live events sector and how to improve things there. Sadly, probably not much of a surprise that there is a lot of improvement to be had. But as always, before we get to this week's conversation, we must first acknowledge that the land on which Indie Week is based is the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee, Wendat, Ashinabe, Métis, and Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. Of course, we must also thank our sponsors and funders. Those are Slate Music, CD Baby, Actor Racks, CMRRA, Lyric Find, Banzoogle, SEMA, City of Toronto, Global Affairs Canada, Ontario Creates, Factor, Seneca College, and the SOCAN Foundation. We must also acknowledge that this project is funded in part by the Government of Canada. Without the support of all of them, we couldn't do the work we do for the music community. So a big thank you to all those companies, organizations, and government bodies. All right, now to this week's conversation. This topic uh, comes from a discussion that Leland hosted a few weeks ago. And uh, I just thought, you know what, it'd be great to sort of continue some of these conversations uh, with our community. And so we're talking about creating safe spaces at your events uh, and such. So with that, uh, I would like to introduce Leland Harper. And Leland, if you can give us a bit of your background, uh, we'd really appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so thanks. Thanks for having me, Daryl. And thanks, everybody, for being here. Um, as Daryl says, it is conference season. So I'm currently in New Orleans. Um, last week, I was in Colorado and Albuquerque. Next week, I'm in Vancouver. The week after that, I'm in Ottawa. So um, a lot of flights, a lot of Air Canada Rouge is going on in my life. But a um, little background uh, for me, I'm a philosopher. Um, I, I specialize in areas of philosophy of religion, philosophy of race. Um, that's what I've done. And so I was born in Vancouver, um, you know, half white, half black kid raised by my white mother in an Asian neighborhood. So I had these kind of identity issues growing up. So um, when I had the opportunity to start exploring some of these issues related to identity um, in, from an academic perspective, um, I jumped at that opportunity. And so that's kind of springboarded my, my work in this area around diversity, equity, inclusion, justice, that kind of stuff. So um, I have a lot of experience in the events industry. So in, in nightclubs, restaurants, um, hotels, fairs, all that kind of stuff. And um, I found that there was a, a little niche. Um, there's, there's a million and one diversity and inclusion consultants. Um, a lot of them speak to kind of corporate culture, corporate boardrooms and that kind of stuff, which probably doesn't translate down too well to, you know, us when we're running around the site trying to get stuff done. Um, so you needed somebody, I, I saw that, that that was kind of lacking, that, that uh, real world experience of being able to take some of these concepts and apply them in a way that makes sense to um, folks who are on the ground doing work. So I started a consulting agency called, um, ironically, I'm the least creative person in the world, but Leland Harper Consulting. 
because um, that's what it was. Um, and that was my little pandemic project at the beginning of the pandemic because I got kicked out of all the nightclubs that I was uh, partnered with. Um, and I wanted a way to kind of keep my foot in the door there. Um, and so this was my way of being able to do that. Um, so yeah, it's been the past few years I've been working on issues related to justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion, both in the kind of entertainment, hospitality industry and in higher education as well. Um, I, I don't know, I create programs at universities. I lead training sessions for different levels of government, um, work with the Canadian Race Relations Foundation, work with Ontario Creates, Advance. Um, you know, I've worked with nonprofits. I do whatever if somebody needs me. I, I try to figure out if my, my skill set works for them and we have a talk. And that's exactly what we're doing today, I guess. Right. Awesome. So that's well, well, me. well, I really appreciate that, Leland. And I, I gotta say, I, I, I really enjoyed the, the session that you hosted, uh, like I said, a few weeks ago. And looking forward to the upcoming ones. Um, so we were kind of talking before the session, and, and I was sort of sharing that, you know, I, I'm gonna share a story. Um, so first off, safe spaces, I think we're going to try to define that and, and kind of go from there. But safe spaces kind of means different things to different people. And, and I got to say that, you know, uh, we're like doing Indie Week for like nearly 20 years in person. We've come across a whole bunch of things. Uh, we are stranded in, stranded in Dublin because of a volcano. Uh, there was floods. There's uh, near hurricane that passed kind of close to Toronto. And I remember a VIP tent running, meaning uh, rolling down the street, crashing into cars almost. Um, but also um, there was some, some incidents that happened overseas where there were shootings and bombings. So like there's this sort of safe space that is the physical safe space. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things that we were trying to do is we actually, a friend of mine who has actually done a couple of tours of duty in Afghanistan was actually working on a security manuscript that we, uh, that we would share with venues in what to do in case of this. And also for our volunteers do training and stuff, but safe spaces goes much deeper and farther than that. And, and it's the emotional impact and the cultural type of impact. So Leland, if you can maybe set us up a little bit on, you know, what is a safe space? Like, how would you define it? Yeah, yeah. So, so Daryl, I mean, you talk about that, that safe space in the terms of, you know, physical safety, right? And so I work at a university in the States. So every single year we go through active shooter training um, without fail. That's what we do. That's about the physical safe space, right? Um, but there's also the safe space, which is going to be kind of, um, you know, emotional safety, intellectual safety, um, just general. I mean, if we're in this this kind of um, entertainment industry type business, we're looking at um, a welcoming space, a welcoming environment, an environment where everybody is is safe to have fun and do their do their thing and enjoy and spend money. Um, all those kind of good things that we want folks to do when they're at our events, right? Yes, absolutely. Sorry, I was just responding to a quick question. If every uh, if everybody can make sure they're muted, that would be great. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, so with these safe spaces, uh, you know, the topic today <laughs> is how do we create them? Um, what are first steps for somebody that is putting on events to move towards creating a safe space? 
Yeah, for me, um, and I, I think I probably talked about this in, in the session that, that you were part of uh, a few weeks ago, Daryl, but I think that, you know, one of the first steps is is stepping back and, and just allowing yourself to feel some humility, right? And understanding that you don't know what you don't know. Um, so allowing other folks who may not look like you, may not have the same background as you, uh, may not have the same experience or experiences or desires as you, allow them to have a seat at the table and to share their opinions, their, um, you know, their, their thoughts and be, and not just be heard, but be kind of, you know, really heard. Um, so we're not just passively listening to these folks, we're actually taking and we're considering what they have to say and we're reflecting on it, we're discussing it. Um, and we're taking it into account when we're making some of these decisions, right? So I think it's just understanding that, you know, it's not necessarily my way or the highway all the time. It's that there are other voices that we need to listen to that are that are either in the room or maybe that need to be let into the room, right? And so it's understanding that and not only allowing that, but encouraging that, right? So I think that's one of the very first steps in trying to figure out what it is you need to do. And it's just kind of having these almost listening sessions, I would say. Absolutely. And, and what about, and I, you know, I've heard this from different talks and conversations, but what about in, in some cases, people are actually afraid of taking that first step. There's a bit of vulnerability that uh, you have to kind of get through. And, and sometimes it's not easy to hear the message. Uh, and we all understand there's going to be some uncomfortableness that we have to get through, but that's what growth is. And, and and I actually encourage that. So so what do you what do you what would you say to some of the people that are are maybe a, afraid to sort of take that first step? Yeah, yeah. I think it's 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 tough because each person's gonna be a little bit different in kind of how we maybe should prod them or push them forward or what's gonna what's gonna motivate them, right? So some folks are gonna need to just push through that kind of being uncomfortable, right? That's just what it's gonna be there. I don't have to fight through it. Other folks, maybe we're gonna have to hold their hand and pull them forward a little bit inch by inch or something like that. So I think one of the important things to remember is that, especially now, given this is my my old self talking now, but given this kind of social media stuff, we're all we're all kind of getting accustomed to seeing that end product, right? Um, we don't see that work that goes in underneath. And nobody goes from you know zero to a hundred um, or zero, like just starting off to being perfect right away. It just doesn't happen. Unfortunately, we, we see that perfect, we see that finished product, but we don't see the underlying work. Um, and so it's, so it's being able to understand that the underlying work is there and it has been done um, and that everybody needs to start somewhere, right? I mean, I can think about, you know, just some of the artists that I know, and I, I remember going to their concerts when it was, you know, me and a couple other people from work who were going to their show and now they're selling out venues, right? Um, we don't talk about those those shows where they were that they were playing when it was, you know, me and three of their cousins were the only people watching them, but now they're selling out these massive venues and going on tours around the world. Um, and it's just, I think, again, it's that, that humility, right? Not just understanding that we're all in a process of growth. And I think that if you're trying to grow from a genuine place, um, you're trying to, you're just trying to do better, right? There's no fault and there's no, there's no harm in that. There's no fault in that. You're trying to do better. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. There's nothing to be ashamed of. You are trying to make yourself, your organization, your your event, whatever it is, better. Whatever exactly that looks like is you know going to vary. But I think that's the important thing to remember. Yeah, and if I could add to that, um, from a personal experience, 
especially with the Indigenous community. And a lot of the members here have uh, been here many times, have, have heard me talk about the Indigenous community, uh, especially with what's going on. Uh, I was very honoured uh, to be invited as an ally to Indigenous Music Summit in New Orleans. We were talking about New Orleans earlier. Um, one of the last events I went to before COVID and, and really the role I was there for was to listen. And I think that's that's one thing to come to the table to actually maybe ask questions, but really listen to the answers. And I find sometimes that's sometimes that's the disconnect is is sometimes I'm finding people aren't quite listening, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah. Did, did yeah, you have any kind of comments on that? Yeah, it's the what we get into quite often and just subconsciously, we just kind of most of us, I don't know. I don't want to generalize, but I think a lot of folks get in the habit of listening to respond instead of listening to listen or listening to learn, right? So instead of me really reflecting on and digesting what you're saying, I'm just thinking about what I'm going to say to it back to kind of defend my character or or, or whatever it is that, I'm, that I want to defend, right? Um, but I think, like you said at the like, like you said earlier, that discomfort is something that's going to be there and we have to just get comfortable with it, right? So... Um, I kind of think of it in terms of, um, you know, going to the gym, right? If I decide I want to get in shape, um, and I go start lifting weights, I don't stop lifting the weights when they get heavier, when I start sweating, right? That's what I need to do in order to grow muscle, right? Same thing when I'm on the treadmill, um, not that I'm on the treadmill very often, but I don't stop when it starts getting harder for me to breathe. Or when I start sweating, when I start getting hot, that's when, you know, that growth is happening and it's going to be the same thing um in in these kind of discussions or these kind of practices um wherever we have them or wherever we do them right absolutely and and uh i, I like that that sort of uh metaphor um and let's talk about some of the benefits as well because i think that that's another thing that people don't quite recognize immediately as to mm -hmm. what are some of the benefits of of moving in this direction that you can see, and I know you talked a bit, little bit about it on the, the session that I was on, but let's hear hear about that. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's a few. I'll start with, I guess I'll just start with the, the simple business case for it, right? And just in terms of, um, you know, staff, volunteers, however you want to, however you want to frame it. But, um, you know, if people feel safe, included, able to be themselves at work, they're probably going to do a better job. They're probably going to stay longer, right? And that's ultimately what we want from our employees, our staff, our volunteers, um, our partners, right? We want them giving their all to whatever it is that they're they're doing with us. Um, we don't want them kind of coming in for an eight-hour shift or whatever it is and spending two hours of that shift on their phone looking for another job, um, right? We want to be able to have them engaged in doing what they want to do and, and doing their best work, right? Um, when they're interested in something, when they when 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 you think you can be yourself, when you have that creativity, when you can feel comfortable, you're just going to do a better job. It's just simple, right? And so. Um, you know, when I go to a tattoo artist, um, I find a tattoo artist whose general style I like, and I just say, here, do what you want, because I want the best possible tattoo from them, with some parameters, of course. Um, but that's generally how I operate, because I want them to do their best quality of work. I want them doing what they feel comfortable doing, um, all that kind of stuff, right? So I think just in reducing turnover, um, you know, getting a more positive work, workplace environment, all that kind of stuff, that's going to be there, right? It's also going to be in terms of creating a more diverse, equitable, inclusive organization, you're going to be able to get that 
diverse feedback, those diverse, uh, that diverse input that we talked about a little bit earlier, right? Because we have more people at the table, different people at the table with different views. So they're going to be able to problem solve a lot quicker. Um, and chances are there won't be as many problems to solve because those fires will be put out before they happen, right? So an example I could think of here is like, listen, you're creating uh, some sort of music festival. You're busy trying to sort out the food vendors that you're going to have there, right? Um, if everybody at the table is a meat eater, they may not consider that, hey, some people at this festival or some guests or who are going to be coming to this festival may be vegan. Maybe we should try to find some vegan food vendors. Or if nobody in this table at this table is allergic to nuts, for example, oh, maybe we should find some, some allergen-free vendors or something like that, right? These kind of things that will allow your guests to come in, feel much more included, and kind of, as I said at the beginning, likely spend more money at your event as well, right? Um, so that those are just some of the very basic business things, right, um, on, on that level. Um, I don't know, is there anything else you want me to touch on there? Well, well just in, in plain terms is you're reaching yeah. a, a wider audience, a wider market, and yeah. that's good business in, from a business point of view. But uh, it, it just leads to, like, I, I sort of have this sort of saying is like, when you build momentum, you don't know what the next opportunities are going to be because you're actually not looking for them. They actually present themselves to you. And, and exactly. I really feel that when you create these spaces, more things will, will happen uh, by sort of like that organic uh, growth where, where it starts presenting itself to you. H have you seen that as results in some of the projects? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I was working with one venue and uh, they're a, a nightclub. Um, and so, sorry, not a nightclub, kind of a, a supper club that turned into a nightclub as it went later and later. Um, and, you know, it was primarily marketed towards that kind of mid-20s, early 30s crew of people who are going to come out Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights, party, you know, spend thousands of dollars on bottles of whatever, um, that kind of thing, right? Um, so they did that. Now they were moderately successful for a few years doing that, but then they decided to switch and said, okay, let's switch. Let's make this a little bit more inclusive. We're going to open it up. Um, we're going to open earlier. Families can come here for dinner if they want. Um, it's not going to be as crazy at night. Their revenue almost doubled overnight just by doing that. Um, really all you're doing is casting a wider net, right? Just as you're, just as you're saying, you're casting a wider net. You're now capturing all these people with kids. You're capturing all these people with that are outside the age demographics that you were looking at before. They looked at their social media and found out it was only white people that was on their social media. So they started, um, you know, putting racialized people on there. They started putting um, same-sex couples on there. They started doing all that kind of stuff. And sure, you're going to lose a few people um, from your kind of following who are just adamantly against that. But at the end of the day, those might not be the type of people you want to associate with anyways. So they lost a few, but they gained you know, tons and tons back just by doing those few little switches. Um, and that was, you know, easy. That was, okay, let's change our hours. Let's change some of the pictures on our social media and revenue doubled, right? Easily. And this was over COVID. You don't see places, you don't see hospitality venues doubling their income or doubling their revenue over the case, over the course of COVID. That just doesn't really happen. And this venue was able to do that by, having some of those conversations um, and making some of those very, very easy switches. It, oh, I love that. And, and uh, 
there's there's a lot of other kind of metaphors and stories uh, about that uh you, you know in terms of music because a lot of our audience here is musicians um you know the term selling out often means oh you're a success on radio which is uh wider audience uh which means more ticket sales and publishing and good stuff so so i think it is being open to allowing change to take place and in some cases it's some t- cases it's, you're learning as you go and it's mm-hmm. going to be bumps and and uncomfortableness and and that that i think there's a fear of as well as like oh what if i do it the wrong way um so i'm not going to do anything because it's better not to do anything than to do it the wrong way and and make mistakes so i think that's another sort of hurdle amongst some people that are producing events yeah. um you know okay. And I think, I mean, if you think about it kind of it, for, for any of us who are parents on, on this meeting, um, you know, I encourage, it's not a big deal if my daughter, make, my daughter's five, right? So if she, she goes and makes mistakes all the time, no big deal, right? That's part of learning. That's part of growing. That's just what it is. Um, it's, we shouldn't fear making mistakes, right? It's, it's just what it is. That's life. Um, you can maintain the status quo and it's, you know, that's, that may work for you, but chances are it's not going to work for a very, very long time. It's not going to be entirely sustainable, especially now where we're seeing, um, you know, the general public is getting more and more cognizant of these kind of things, right? They're, they're more, they're more educated. They're, they're looking for these kind of things um, in terms of, you know, I'm going to go look at your social media. If you don't have anybody who looks like me, I'm not going to go to your festival. I'm not going to go see your, see your show, right? Those kind of things um, because you don't, look like you connect with me as a person, right? They have a million different options. Um, what is it about you that makes them connect with you, right? There has to be something. And again, it's going back to that casting a wide net. Um, and I'm not saying you have to necessarily, well, we don't want you to pander to any kind of different identity group or anything like that, but just having little things there to make it a little bit more inclusive. Um, and I'm not saying again, don't change your entire identity, right? This, this, this hospitality venue that I was dealing with, they didn't change their identity. They're still who they are. It's just, they created more space for other people who weren't originally fitting into that original identity, right? That's all it was. Um, and I, and again, it worked out to their benefit. So it's thinking about ways that you can do that in, in your space, um, and what exactly that looks like without having to compromise again, your, your, your integrity or your, your, uh, kind of artistic vision or whatever it is that, that you're coming into it with. And we'll be back. Hey, listener, you're listening to our podcast, which is a recorded session from one of our other online sessions. Every Tuesday, you can tune in and be part of it at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and that is Toronto time. For those of you listening in from different parts of the world, uh, it's our Indie Weekly. And that means we talk with music industry professionals, artists, all about the music business. That's a great way to connect with others as we have people tuning in from around the world. We encourage dropping links, sharing, DMing, making real connections while learning about the music industry and uh, hearing from music industry professionals. So once again, that's Indie Weekly every Tuesday, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's Toronto time. And to sign up, just head over to IndieWeek.com and all the information is there. And we're back. Right, right. And you got to, 
some as somebody who has been putting on events and stuff, you, you kind of also have to build a thick skin because uh, you're going to get comments from this way and that way. And, and, and it's not necessarily representing the majority, but it does get in there every once in a while. Like I had a, somebody, somebody literally commented uh, about a month ago, you should be doing more with the indigenous community. And I'm like, in, in what way? We just had a producer up North with the Inuit artists that we just like, we, we do a lot. So, so that's the thing is a lot of people aren't getting quite all the information they need and are making comments and, and, so you kind of have to build that thick skin to also uh, be able to deflect that. But I do, I do want to make a comment about maybe having a little bit more uh, social responsibility as well in what you're programming uh, that helps represent, uh, you know, the space that you're in. And, and just to kind of give a context, uh, this during the pandemic, we obviously moved our conferences and all our events online. Uh, we do hire out to certain people to help build um, panels for us. And in one instance, I actually had to say, hey, I appreciate what you put together, but this panel isn't diverse at all. And, and we need to make sure that we're programming in a way that we are reaching our audiences in the right way and they, there was a little bit of pushback at first and I think it's just old school mentality and and I the way I, I said it I guess was something along the lines of well it's actually the importance is the members of our audience can relate to somebody speaking and can start going oh that could be me one day and and kind of putting that as 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 part of the programming side of things. So, so maybe can you comment a little bit about even just social responsibility in, in doing yeah. the right thing? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's, that's a little bit tough from a business perspective because now we're kind of going a little bit separate, right? We're looking at that kind of justice and then um, the business stuff, but, but that's fine. Cause like I said, I think that the, if you, if you kind of do the right thing, the business stuff will follow. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's about, breaking some of these trends that we've seen for a long, long time, right? So, I mean, if we're looking at some of these booking agents or whoever it is that's, that, that are going through all this stuff, you know, you're going to book your friends. You're going to book the people that you like hanging out with. You're going to book the people you've hung out with um, that probably look like you, talk like you, all this kind of stuff that you've been working with for years, right? We're trying to break that, right? We want to be able to get some fresh blood in there, get some new folks in there. Because again, if, if, if I see a music festival I just need one person that I like to be performing at that festival and I'm going to spend the money and go, right? I don't need to like everybody. There's no chance that anybody is ever going to like everybody at every music festival, right? Just like Daryl, you're not going to, you're not going to please everybody at every festival that you organize. There's always going to be those people who aren't happy. That's just the way it's going to be. Um, but I think you still have to do your part, right? We have to try to, um, you know, create something for everybody, not everything for somebody, if that makes sense. Um, so kind of going back to that, showing people what it can be right, or what they can be, right? We want to have that, that person they can look up to and say, yeah, I can do this because you want to maintain, um, that pipeline really, right? We want to keep growing for our, for our purposes here, Canadian talent, right? We want young kids from Scarborough, for example, to grow up and say, Hey, yeah, I can be the weekend, Right. I assume, I think he's from Scarborough, right? Is that what it is, right? But we want that kind of thing, right? Um, 
we want to see them reflected on stage. Um, and that's really what gets folks excited. That's what gets fans out there. That's what gets people hyped up. That's what gets them hooked to this product, really, right? This art. Um, and so I think that that's important, right? Because for so long, we haven't been able to see that. There's a lot of communities that haven't been able to see that, right? Um, so the, the example I gave at the, the session I did a few weeks ago with Daryl was, you know, the, the Little Mermaid, right? So we have this live action Little Mermaid. Um, it's a Black Little Mermaid now, right? And so you see all these videos, all these clips that I'm sure you've seen on Instagram or TikTok or whatever you watch. Um, of little Black girls just being like, oh my goodness, she looks like me, she looks like me. Um, and it's 2022, right? Like it's, it's, it's crazy that it's taken that long for Disney to put forth something that connects with young black girls, right? That's mind boggling. And you can see just the reactions of these, you know, five, six, seven, eight year old girls, um, just being so happy, right? Wouldn't you want to create that, that kind of feeling for every one of your guests, for every one of your staff, every one of your volunteers, Right. If you can create that feeling, again, going back to this brand loyalty thing, right? If you can create that feeling, you've got them. You've got them forever, right? They're going to come back to your festival over and over and over. They're going to come back to your concerts. They're going to remember your company's, your organization's name, right? These kind of things. And so I think it's important to do it just on the, because it doesn't hurt anything, right? It doesn't hurt anything for Disney to cast a black mermaid. They're still going to make their, I'm sure billions of dollars are going to make off this, but it makes that much of a difference for everybody else. And so think about some of that thing, some of those, those considerations when you're, again, working in your own fields and, and making the decisions that you're making, right? Uh, wow. I, yeah, absolutely. And um, I also think that, you know, I think it's, this is community building for the future, which, um in any music community, especially in Toronto, seems to be there's these fragments and niches and like not working together where can we make it actually a better community if we were working together? And I think that that's that's one of the things that we could foster a, a stronger local scene in every city uh, by being diverse and, and inclusive at all the events. Um, when I was growing up in Edmonton, uh, you're pretty secluded in Edmonton, I got to say. Uh, you don't really tour much because there's not much where to tour other than Calgary and Calgary and Edmonton don't like each other. But anyways, um, there was a lot of times where we would say like, I literally hate your band. Like we hated each other's bands, but I'll still go. I'll still support. And we had a thriving scene and the music that came out was really diverse as a result of it. And it ended up being this person is in this band and over here. So they're in a metal hardcore band, but then in a country artist and then a roots artist and, and a lot of really cool, uh, a lot of cool acts came out of that. And, and uh, that's one of the things that I sometimes see is a scene sort of fragments itself. And, and, you know, prior to the pandemic, we were like, wow, some of the venues are really empty a lot of the times. And, and I think that, us by us being diverse in our programming and what we're putting out there and creating this space that everyone's included, our community could thrive and and I think it can better itself. You know, um, do you have any comments on that? Yeah, no, I, I I'm a proponent of that kind of my 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 the term we use in academia, I guess, is interdisciplinarity, right? Um, so I'm not sure exactly what you call that in the in the music world 
Um, but I guess just kind of blending of different genres, really working together, um, breaking down silos, working with each other. And you can see instances where the product is so much better for it when those are broken down, right? So for example, in my work right now, I'm a philosopher of race. I work with uh, a political scientist on some of the stuff that I'm doing, right? Because they have knowledge that I don't have and I have knowledge that they don't have and we work together and we we play off each other's strengths, right? And we think about instances of, instances, of, instances of this happening in the music industry, right? So think of people like, or groups like Run DMC or something kind of blending rock and and hip hop, right? Or, or more recently like Lil Nas X, right? Taking hip hop and country and, right? I never would have thought that you could have, you know, you'd have Billy Ray Cyrus kind of on a, hip hop album and, and, and this kind of stuff, right? Or Aerosmith on a rap album. Um, but that happens, right? And these have gone on to be some incredibly successful, some incredibly good pieces of art and artists, right? Um, so I think that's something to think about is pulling the strengths from, from these things. And frankly, it's just more fun um, when you're doing this, right? If you're coming from one genre, going to a different genre and learning stuff, that's just, it's fun. It's fun to learn new things. I think maybe I'm just a bit of a nerd um, in that sense, but I, I think it's great. And I think it's, we're, we're kind of seeing that a lot more in terms of almost everything in our society, right? You look at fusion and food, right? We're getting all this kind of fusion in, in, in music as well, different kinds of art. So it, it's there. So again, sometimes you might try it and it's going to end horribly. You're going to make some terrible stuff, but that's fine, right? It's you're, you can make terrible music in your own genre too. Um, or terrible songs in your own genre. So maybe why not try something different and see what happens, right? Absolutely. And and uh, uh, some of the best nights I feel that we produced was, you know, uh, starts with an acoustic artist, then it goes into roots, and then a hip hop, and then into rock. And then like, it it just was a mix of genres, but it was just such a development of the, the night. It was great. Mm -hmm. um, but with that said, I do want to sort of say uh, some challenges that are faced is, is, you know, pushback from venues in, in putting on events. Like we've had cases where some venues, after we sent them the lineups, they're like, oh, we can't have this artist. And, and, we, and it's almost always, you know, the, the rap or, yeah. or the hip hop artist. And, and it was forcing us to like then scramble to find venues that would let us put mm -hmm. on these nights and, and, uh, such like that. So sometimes finding that space is also trying to get the venue itself to be more open in their thinking. Yeah. Luckily, right now, I'm finding that venues, uh, especially because of all the messaging that especially the programs you're providing and such, mm -hmm. I see Ian's here and Clicks here as well. Uh, they're doing great work in this area too, in educating the, the venues and and such so so that's been a big hurdle as well in the past uh, and uh sometimes it's been a real struggle for us alone and i've booked for i think four venues like as the booker and i gotta say out of four two of them in my first meeting literally said do not book rap or hip-hop in this venue at all um so so what are your comments on the venue side of things and trying to yeah. you know, better, better the actual spaces themselves, because it's hard to work with them again, I yeah. find, you know? Yeah, I think in, in terms of, you know, even though you're dealing with spaces, you're still leading, dealing with the person who runs the space, right? Um, so it, it's, again, trying to do that, that kind of educating, right? And being able to have these, these conversations 
Um, they can have it in policy somewhere written that says, hey, listen, no hip hop, no rap, whatever, the contract gets sent over. But it's about having these kind of interpersonal relationships where you can have that conversation and say, well, no, listen, we're, we're standing firm in this because of X, Y, Z. And I think it's if you can back that up, if you can provide reasoning for why you're doing what you're doing, um, that should be able to hopefully, it may not completely convince them, but push them back a little bit. And I think that, you know, as an industry, if you're able to stand firm as an industry and say, hey, listen, these are the lineups we're setting. We are setting these diverse lineups. We're just not going to come to your venue if you're mad about the one hip hop act that we have on our 15 act lineup then we're going to find someone else who will, or a, a different venue who will take us, right? And eventually they'll all have to fall in line because they have to make their money too, right? So you have to drive, I think you, you, right here, we're the decision makers, we're the artists, we're the, we're the bookers and stuff, the organizers, it's going to be you driving it, right? And so maybe I, I'm obviously not too familiar with this, but I think I see a power dynamic thing. So I think that the power dynamic would be in the hands of the organizers in this sense, um, or at least could be. Or am it's I wrong a, on that? It's a tough one because there's, in some cases there's a lack of other alternative options in Toronto uh, yeah, at times. Um, but but it is a, is a thing that is getting better, but I think also important to be addressed that mm-hmm. that exists and, and that that mindset has to change. Uh, and it is, I, I'm very glad to see that i um, i did want to bring up there is a question in the chat um what do you recommend for promoters bookers and club owners uh, when it comes to obtaining diverse staff and how the staff or team handles any occurrences or practices at their events and venues yeah um so in terms of uh i guess it varies there's different levels right so in terms of recruiting um, diverse staff, um, volunteers, that kind of stuff. I think that you need to make concerted efforts to go after these different groups because you're going to target each of them different, not necessarily target them, but hit them in different places, right? So if you're out looking for a bunch of cisgender white men, um, you're going to be able to put out that kind of job posting in one place that maybe people from another group may not be able to get access to it or, or get access to it in, in lower volume or something like that. So you have to start trying to figure out where these places are. And so that's where that inviting people to other or inviting diverse viewpoints to the table helps because nobody's going to know all that stuff. There's no single person that's going to know, okay, this is where I go to get all the Somali workers. This is where I go to get all the, all the uh, disabled workers. This is where I go to get all the LGBTQ plus workers. It's like, it just doesn't work that way. Right. So we're going to have, we just have to have, have this diverse network of people. And so you kind of go and you leverage that, especially in this kind of industry where so much of it is built on networking. Um, that's what you have to be able to do. Um, when stuff comes up at the workplace, I'm, I'm a firm believer in, in policy. I like having policy written down. So that's when something happens, we can look at the policy. Okay. What are we supposed to do? Right. You do X, Y, Z. This is what happens. Right. I think the thing that people get hung up on with policy is that it's policy, therefore it can't be changed. This is what it is. Well, no, we can absolutely sit down and have have a conversation about whether or not this policy needs to be revised, right? That's easy enough, right? And policies often do get revised. And so again, it's about thinking of these things as a work in progress. It's never gonna be perfect the first time around. And I think we have to get away from the expectation 
that we are going to be perfect with some of these things the first time around. So put stuff in policy, have a working group, right? Have people that are constantly reviewing this stuff, right? I know a lot of places that review, you know, other major policies once every two to three years, right? Especially with this kind of stuff in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion, where everything is so dynamic, everything is changing all the time. Even the acronyms have changed, right? All this kind of stuff is constantly changing and it could even be changing from what, you know, what government is in place at the time, right? Because there's gonna be legal considerations that we have to think about as well if we're talking about workplace stuff, right? So all that stuff comes into play and it just needs to be, like I said, a work in progress and understanding that stuff that worked yesterday may not work tomorrow. And so it's a constant conversation. It's not a, hey, we talked about this once, check, my organization's not racist or check, my organization's not transphobic because we did a seminar or something. It's it's building that into the, the, the culture, the, the fabric of whatever it is that you're doing and constantly revisiting it. Not even saying that we need to revisit it. It's just part of the natural conversation that happens. It just comes up and it's just, it's not something that's going to offend anybody. It's not something that anybody's going to feel hurt about. It's just, no, we have a problem that we don't have any Asian volunteers this year or something like that, right? What are we going to do to solve that problem, right? Those kind of things. Right, absolutely. And uh, I just want to add, uh, Ian added to the chat uh, saying, uh, sadly, it's not getting better across my 20 years. Uh, I'm good as a veteran, but we see performative statements and even policies about wanting diversity but top-down behaviors where, for instance, bouncers still are discriminatory, uh, culture of the entertainment industry must change. And, and I agree with that. You know, it's almost like changing of the guard. Um, and, and uh, you know, I, I come from old school industry too, where like back in the early days, if you made a mistake, you were getting yelled at, like screamed at, like high level, uh, just, getting screamed at like I remember doing a poster uh, a band I was working with was opening for another band and we just built our own poster and like we're playing here and playing with so-and-so and the agent saw it and just tore a strip off my back because he's like you're the opener you cannot have a poster like that um so um it's difficult it's there's a changing of guard that has to happen and uh I think we're in that I, I sometimes say as we're kind of in that bad teenager phase of that awkwardness, uh, it's it's not necessarily new, it's not necessarily old, but it's learning. Uh, that's that's kind of how I try yeah. to explain it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah, it is a it is a tough space to be in. I think you know I'm. It's been that like I've been part of those old school nightclubs, some of those old school venues where it's, this is the way we've done it for 30 years. This is the way we're going to keep doing it. Um, and you know, it's, it's really, it's tough because the people who are at the top making those decisions, right. They've clearly been successful by making those decisions and operating in that way to be able to get to where they are. Um, so they don't necessarily want to recognize change. Um, but we kind of see this influx coming up from the masses as well. Right. So now we have this, you know, really, it can be one Instagram post, it can be one tweet that blows everything up for you at this point. Whether we like it or not, that's just the way it is, right? I've, we've, we can see places get shut down because of one tweet that a bunch of other people jump on. So it doesn't matter if these people are at your festival or not, or at your event or not. If they start retweeting it, it's just as if they were, right? So we want to be able to minimize that or mitigate that as much as we can. 
right? So it's about, I guess, pushing back in some of those in some of those ways where it's okay. Well, let's look at what the worst case scenario could be, right? Maybe the worst case realistic scenario, right? Um, and bringing that to the attention of the people who can make those decisions. Because as much as it needs to be a top down decision, it needs to be a bottom up decision too. Because if you're at the top and you make this decision, and all your all the people in the organization don't follow it or don't believe in it, it's it's not nothing's going to happen, right? Um, and same thing if it's from bottom up, but we don't get those kind of major structural changes, it's going to maintain the, it's going to stay the same as well. So you need to get it from both ends. Um, and I mean, I've been there. I've 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 had I've been in those situations where it's you know you mess up, someone's throwing something at your face. It's just the way it is, right? Um, and that's the way I was brought up in the industry, and that's the way. But it got to a point where I realized I had to start changing, right? Because I, of course, moved up, became a manager and stuff. And that's how I wanted to manage because that's how it worked for me. But then it was, no, I can't, I can't keep doing this because I'm going to keep losing staff or my club's going to be empty or nobody's going to want to come to my things or whatever it is. Right. Um, and it's, again, like going back to that very first thing I said is that humility, right. And being able to understand and be adaptable. And I think that, you know, one of the things that, or one of the silver linings of the pandemic has shown us is that we all have to be incredibly adaptable to a number of different situations. So if we're able to do something like take all of our stuff that we were doing in person for the last hundred years and now immediately switch it in a matter of a couple of weeks to being completely virtual, and then now maybe switch it all back to being in person, why can't we create some more diverse policies? Why can't we hire some black people why can't we, like, if we can do all that, why can't we have some gender neutral bathrooms, right? Simple things like this. When you put it like that, I think it seems a lot more simple than a lot of people think it really is, or not as hard as people think it really is. Um, but I think maybe we just don't get ourselves enough credit for the stuff that we can accomplish because we think it's harder than it is and we don't want to start. We don't want to try I agree with that. I, I, in a lot of conversations I've had, the, there's that fear of like, oh, it's so much work and, um, you know, uh, just not wanting to put that effort in. But I do want to ask, I, we're, we're already, it's already 450. This is how fast these conversations go. Um, I want to sort of throw it out there. What's your prediction five years from now? Um, do you see we will have moved forward or still same old. Uh, what do you see the next five years in, in the moving forward in this? <laughs> I don't even want to try try on that. I don't know. Cause uh, I I'm putting you on the hot seat. I'm putting yeah, you on the hot well, seat. It's funny. Cause my book that I'm down here talking about in a couple of days in new Orleans, um, my co-author and I were getting together to talk about another book that we're going to write as a follow-up to this, to say that everything we just said is possibly wrong because of how quickly stuff has changed. Um, over the past two years, but um, you know, I'm 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 hopefully optimistic. I think that's how I like to frame myself. Um, I think that we're starting to get there from the masses. It's that kind of that top-down approach that I want to see more of. Um, so, I mean, I guess, yeah, I don't know. It's it's tough. I think, like I said, I think people are getting more educated. I'm hoping that um, you know a lot of organizations are saying they want to do these things they're saying they want to take this kind of stuff to heart they want to include you know introduce diverse equitable inclusive workplaces and, and all that kind of stuff 
I think over the next few years, what we're really going to see is, and this is kind of what we talked about a little bit before, but are these organizations just talking the talk or are they walking the walk? And I think that's really going to come, come to light over the next few years because it's been the past kind of year or so, 16 months that people have really been, or organizations have been doing a lot of kind of hiring, right? So you're an organization, okay, now you have a VP of diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? That's a fairly new position that 95% of organizations didn't have five years ago, right? Now they do. Um, it's a matter of not only hiring those folks, but are they getting the proper support and resources they need to do the things that they need to do? And that, of course, is going to take time. So jury's still out um, on what's going to happen. Um, like I said, I think, I think I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, but I've also been kind of away from the world for a little bit. Um, right? I've been doing a lot of this kind of stuff. Um, and it just varies a lot demographically and just by what happens in the world, right? Um, so yeah, it's 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 going to be interesting, but I think the the key is just for each of us to keep learning, to keep steadily improving, um, and over that time, you know, if we're not already, we will be in those leadership positions soon enough. And so, because we have that higher degree of knowledge, we can hopefully make some more more informed decisions, or at least go find some people who can help us make some more informed decisions. So that's my hope. I love it, and uh, if I I'll add just one thing that I've noticed. Uh, we're very lucky in Canada. Um, one, uh, there, are, there are some new organizations that are really pushing forward advanced BDRV. And uh, the other thing that I've noticed is that grants and funders have created new programs that I think is going to have a real big impact in five years, um, allowing, you know, uh, people of color and different diversity groups to have access to funding to be those leaders, to be, you know, putting on the event or having a new business. And I think that that that'll just that's planting the seed that will grow in five years. And we're going to see more businesses that I think are going to all of a sudden have a big impact on our at least here in Canada. This is what I know or where I, where I live. So so this is what I see. But but I think that that's a positive uh, change that I've seen is the the support the government and funders have been um, starting to open up uh, to diverse groups. Um, do you have any comments on that yeah. side of things? Yeah, no, I, I think it's great. Some of the some some of the 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 playing ground is starting to get a little bit leveled, um, kind of on that sense, right? So I think about situations where you know I've applied for loans. And gotten turned down and then it's not until you know there's these these different funding programs specifically for black entrepreneurs that i can qualify for these loans or whatever um so there's those kind of opportunities now that you're going to see a lot more of these um you know small businesses owned by people from diverse backgrounds right so as we see that we want to start thinking about okay well who is the contract going to go to who am i going to subcontract to who am i going to bring in as a vendor who am I going to bring in as whatever, right? Um, maybe that's one way that you can do it. You might not be, you might not have the capacity to hire a bunch of people from a bunch of different identity groups, but you can subcontract them out, right? That's perfectly fine. It's not like you have to. There's no silver bullet to everything, but you can do. You can just move around and, and do it, right? That's easy enough to do. Um, 
you just have to look for it. It has to be something that's at the forefront of your mind, right? You have to make that conscious decision that this is what I want to do. I want to diversify things. I want to make things more equitable. I want to make things more inclusive and go out and do that. It's easy enough to find once you've made that decision, right? And so I think um, that's something important. And, you know, one thing that we want to try to not overlook is that we're, as you say, we're, we're lucky to be in Canada because a lot of these issues, and at least as it relates to inclusivity in terms of race, ethnicity, religion, we're just pretty diverse, at least in our major areas, right? So our Montreal, Vancouver, Toronto, um, Calgary, I can't speak to Edmonton, I can't speak to other places, I haven't been there too often, but getting better, right? So we may not necessarily have to specifically target these specific groups because if we put something out there, a diverse group will come back just by the just by virtue of where we are. But that could change at any moment, right? So we wanna start thinking about how do we, how do we reach these specific groups? Um, individually, right? How do we tailor our communications? How do we tailor our menus? How do we tailor our, um, you know, whatever it is, social media, all that kind of stuff to target each of these groups. And so I think that's great. And that's something that through, you know, a lot of this different funding, a lot of, through a lot of even just these, even just to get funding from the government now, a lot of times you have to say, okay, well, what's your diversity plan um, for a lot of these grants and stuff? even if that at the very basic level is only performative, it's at least getting the people thinking about it, right? So it's baby steps at this point, which is fine. Would I like for it to move a little bit faster? Yes, I would, but I'll start from where we need to start, right? And if that's where we need to start from, cool. I'll take that and we'll start moving forward slowly. And so I think that's where we are right now. Well, yeah, I, I, I really appreciate that. Like uh, the, like I feel like you know going through it even ourselves in in looking at how we we do our programming for our sessions at Indie Week and the topics we cho choose, um, it is an education experience and and we're learning we're growing making mistakes sometimes trying trying to do the best we can, uh, but uh, hopefully we're we're helping move forward. But but I think that what I see in Canada is is actually really positive going to all these conferences and you know running. I, again, Ian running into Ian and click out at East Coast Music Awards and and out of showcases and hosting panels and mixers and things like that. I think that the the message is what I'm seeing is starting to be consistent. Meaning, instead of going to one conference or event and there's one thing and then not seeing it again at another conference for months and months and months, uh, I'm starting to see it's almost like there's there's a thread that's happening, a narrative that's starting to actually take place and that story is continuing from one to another to mm -hmm. another. And I think that that's something that is going to help push the, the, that sort of needle forward um, in that I'm seeing it across the board at, at many events. And, and yeah. that's just been welcoming because we, we know this business is relationships. It's who you know and, and things like that. And then I'm finding these are the relationships that are being created a lot more now. And, and I think it's kind of going back to us as increasing your audience, increasing your market. And in our cases, it's increasing where conferences now, uh, increasing what speakers are going to be talking and, and what topics are going to be covered. And, and it's actually been a big learning experience on my end over the last three years because we're doing it all online and a lot of them. Uh, so, so it's been great in that sense. Um, Leland, it's, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, do you have any last comments? We're already at that hour. 
Yeah, no, I think it's, um, you know, a lot of these things we're talking about, we're talking about in kind of a general sense. So I think what's important now is to, you know, just take some of these ideas and, and some of these thoughts and maybe think about how they're going to work in your specific situation, right? Um, and so to do that, um, it's going to look different for every every one of us, right? How we're going to apply it, even if, you know, both of you are, or we have multiple people who are, um, you know, event producers, right? It's still going to look, they can look very different of how you're going to apply some of these concepts, depending on what events you're, you're producing, right? So, um, you know, it's not, like I said, it's not, it's not going to be a silver bullet or anything, but um, don't be scared to talk about this stuff because again, it's just recognizing that we don't know everything. Right? You have to talk to other folks, get their perspective and, you know, have a little bit of that thick skin um, and, you know, not everything is about you. Um, if somebody tells you something um, that may not be so flattering about your event or, or your organization or whatever, it's not necessarily about you. Um, hey, okay, what can we do? How can we fix this problem? And then you start moving forward, right? So I think um, that's where I leave it. And I can leave my email in the chat or you can go through the role. And if anybody has any questions, I'm more than happy to help out where I can. Awesome. Thanks so much, Leland. And uh... Uh, just a couple of things to wrap. Just remember, Indie Week is next week online. Uh, hope to see you there. Uh, I feel it's one of our best scheduled programming yet to date. And uh, lots going on. Uh, so follow us on socials. You can always DM me on Instagram. I'm real easy to find. And uh, this notice, uh, Brad and Mel are here. So quick shout out to you guys. I've been following your posts. Uh, they were just at Music NL, another conference. Uh, it's just conference season going on. So uh, yes, please try to follow me on Instagram. You'll be able to follow all my travels and stuff over the next few weeks. And uh, hopefully see you at any week next week. Uh, at the end of our sessions, we ask if you feel comfortable, turn on your camera. We take our group selfie and we encourage post and share on social, tell people what we're doing, tag each other. The community grows outside of the Zoom session that's where you make real connections and things can happen. Hey, Jay, I see you there. Sandra, Sandra, we got to talk soon. Mac, love it. Uh, and also Jen is lurking. Jen worked for us, uh, a, well, I guess the last year, uh, did, was very impactful on us producing our events. So hi, Jen, she's tuning in from the UK. All right, everybody, thank you so much and hope to see you next week. Follow me on Instagram. I'm going to be traveling all over. Uh, thank you, everyone. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Leland. Thanks, Daryl. Have a great day. You too. Bye. All right. So that does it for this week's podcast. Um, big thanks to Leland Harper for having made the time to join Daryl and our uh, Indie Week community back in November for that Indie Weekly session. As always, uh, join us every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern time where uh, we're hosting industry experts and successful artists and others who are just sharing practical knowledgeable insights into how you can improve your career, whether you're an artist or working on the business side of the industry. And crucially, uh, important to let you know, our DIT online music community has just, literally just officially launched. Uh, if you're looking for a place to connect with other artists, other like-minded artists who are really serious about their careers, you can uh, connect to collaborate, share advice, ask questions, or just share fun and interesting things. There's also a ton of educational resources from the likes of our friends at CD Baby, Banzoogle, um, music lawyer uh, Matt Gorman at Cox and Palmer, Sandra Sutter, uh, 
so many more and there is a lot in the works that is going to continue to be added on and building out the DIT music community. It is an online platform, it really is a community, as I keep saying, that is created by and for musicians and members of the music industry. So go to members.ditcommunity.com to sign up for free and get exploring and connecting with others. We'd love to see you there. And lastly, before I let you go, just another shout out and thank you to our wonderful sponsors and funders. Those are Slate Music, CD Baby, Actor Racks, CMRRA, Lyric Find, Banzoogle, SEMA, the City of Toronto, Global Affairs Canada, Ontario Creates, Factor, Seneca College, and the SOCAN Foundation. And we also acknowledge that this project is funded in part by the Government of Canada. So big thank you to all of them. Without the support of our sponsors and funders, we couldn't do the work that we do for the music community. All right, that's enough for this week. We'll see you back here with another episode next Thursday. Thanks so much for listening.